You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Um, special time today. So, uh, and Brad, would you please pass me my notes down there that are by you? That would be so helpful. Um, children, if you'll come up and join me on stage. So just when you didn't think you had class today, you do. And it's with Miss Keisha. Okay, so preschoolers all the way up to fifth grade. If you'll come join me and we're going to sit not touching the tree and we're going to sit all on this part, on this side of the podium. So if you can gather up here, that will be fat. You're going to face me, not your parents. They don't want to see you. They've seen you all week. I want to see your faces. All right, so I'm going to sit in this chair right here, and you'll want to look at me, Brianna, because I've got a little special picture thing up here that I'm going to do. Thank you, baby. Now, boys and girls, just in case you don't know how God works, okay, grown-ups are asked to participate in the service, and we had special friends, Mr. Terry and Miss Sandra. They came up and shared about peace today, okay? So they were at their house figuring out what they were going to talk about, and Miss Keisha was at her house figuring out what I was going to talk about today. And guess what? God put it on their heart and my heart to say almost exactly the same thing, okay? So that's how he works. That's called the Holy Spirit. When we say that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and talks to you and lets you know things about God, it's really true, and this is a perfect example, okay? So, you're going to be super smart today because you're going to know all the answers already. Doesn't it feel good to be smart? Okay, this is my little board up here. Okay, so who can tell me what the theme of the Advent candle was today? Everybody shout it out. Peace, Peace right. Okay, so did you know that when God made the world, he made it in peace, we talk about it being perfect, right, and good, all of those things. Well, everything was good in the garden that God made, right? And it was at peace, all the animals, the people. So what is peace to you? What does it make you think of? Raise your hand if you have a thought about peace. What do you think of when you think of peace? Okay, Elias. Calm. I like that word. Okay, Reese. Silence. Okay, woo, parents like peace like that, don't they? Gray. What does peace remind you of? What do you think of when you think of peace? You can think about it. Okay, Isaiah. Patience. Oh, I like these words. Okay. They mentioned people not fighting or not getting along, right? Do y'all think we've had any of that the last year and a half where people haven't been able to get along? No. Really? Oh, we have. Yes, we have. 2020 and 2021, lots of arguing. Stay, don't, get, don't ever get on social media. Don't watch the news, okay? You're glad you get to go to school because you don't have to listen to it there, okay? Well, in the garden, God's peace was destroyed, right, when something happened, and it involved a special tree in the garden. God told Adam and Eve not to eat from this one tree in the garden, right? Did they obey God? Did they listen? No, even though he loved them and he gave them good instructions, what did they want to do? They did. They wanted to disobey. Their hearts were against God. What were you going to say? They did. They wanted to be their own boss, right, Elias? That's a good way of putting it, right? So they did their own thing. And what happened? So we have 
peace, which is our theme today. Okay, I'm going to keep that over here. We have one of my pages has gotten mixed up here. Well, there it is. Okay, we have God in the garden and we have Adam and Eve, right? They're all happy and everything. But when they ate from that tree, what came into the garden that destroyed the peace? All right, Saber. It's a three-letter word. It's not very good. I heard somebody say it. What is it, boys and girls? Y'all all know it. What is it? Sin, right? Okay, sin, all right? Now, something happens with sin because it messed up this relationship between God and Adam and Eve. What happened, Navy, to this relationship? Did they get to be together all the time? What happened? Satan, that's right. He, Satan came in, and somebody said it, I think. What happened, Pax, between God and Adam and Eve? Were they together? Yeah, they were separated by sin, right? Not just in their hearts because they made a bad decision, but God actually sent them out of the garden, and they were physically separated from God, right? So God was not going to accept this, though. He was very sad, and he could not be where sin is. Why can God not be where sin is? Because he's what, boys and girls? Holy, right? He's holy, right? But he had a plan. And what was his plan? Who was he going to send? Who was he going to send? Jesus, right? God was going to send Jesus. And he's such a good God that guess what? He even told them the plan from the very start. Did you know that when God was giving out the punishment for their sin, he told Adam, Eve, and the serpent who caused the problem that he had a plan in place and that the offspring or the children of Eve, the child of Eve would crush the serpent's head and that the serpent would strike his heel. And we've talked about in the fifth grade class that that's a picture of when Jesus died on the cross, he would completely die, right? And But he would come back to life again. So God sent his only son to be born of a woman named Mary. And so why was Jesus born, boys and girls? Why was he born? Who have I not heard from? Okay, Justice. Yes, he was born to save us from our sins, right? And so Jesus was born to die. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was able to bring us back to God, okay? He's able to make this relationship so that we can get back to God, okay? I think I, oh, I left my box. That's okay. Well, we've talked about in in church before in our classes that we have this free gift of salvation, okay? It's like a Christmas present, right? There's a gift for everyone. It's offered to everyone. But it's not our gift until we what? If I give this to Emerson and I say, Emerson, I've got this present for you, Emerson. It's not yours until you what, Emerson? Open it. Until you take it and you open it, right? So God has sent Jesus to give each one of you and all those people out there a free gift of salvation, but it's going to stay there in that beautiful package waiting for you until you accept it and you decide that you want to have that gift for yourself and believe in Jesus, right? 
What happens when we believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross? What happens, Isaiah? What? Yes, our sins are forgiven, right? Holly, did you have a different thought? Yes, you can proclaim to the world that you want to be baptized. That's right. Do we get to be with God forever? Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, boy. They, they slept on that one a little bit. Okay, we get to go to heaven and we get to be with God forever, right? Because Jesus is our peace. He brings peace, like Terry and Sandra said, but God also means for Jesus to be our peace, okay? Because he makes us right with God. All right. And you heard them say the story where the angel said, um, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a what? Manger. And the angels came and they said, and this is a preview for next week, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace among whom God is pleased. Okay. And guess what? boys and girls. The world began in peace, but guess what? It's also going to end in peace. That's right, Saber. The beginning and the end. Jesus will come again, and he will bring us peace, and he'll make everything right with the world again. He will make all things new. So let's pray. Bow your heads and close your eyes. God, our Father, thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for the gift of Jesus, your Son, who came to save us from our sin. Thank you that we can have real peace that lasts forever when we believe in Jesus' death on the cross and that he makes us right with you. Thank you for loving us that much. Amen. Love seeing you boys and girls. You can go back to your seats. Emerson, where's Emerson? I'm so sorry. There was a $20 bill in that box. If whoever opened... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not real. That's a mean thing to do. Adam and Brandy, you need to give them 20 bucks. <laughs> well. <laughs> Shalom, y'all. Shalom. Of course, the Hebrew word for peace, we've already, a slice of heaven. I love that definition. It's our Advent focus today. We think of peace on so many levels. Think of international peace, which is ever elusive. And so we settle for temporary alliances and threats of war to prevent war. We hope and pray for peace at Christmas family gatherings but there is no peace because they're divided right down the middle between Carolina fans and State fans and Campbell fans and Gardner-Webb fans. Um, as for personal peace, there is no peace with God unless we have that relationship that Keisha described so beautifully for us this morning. And then there is the peace of God that comforts our hearts and assures us of God's loving care over our lives. Our text this morning is Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17. The peace described in this text is peace in the body or peace within the church family. So to read 
our text. We have two individuals who are graduates of children's ministry. You can't believe when we have Grace Connection class, the sophistication and nuance with which teenagers give answers to pretty difficult uh, questions. So our children's ministry and, and, and youth ministry both are doing a wonderful job. But this morning, Ellie Grumbach and Michael Damaris are going to be coming to share our reading. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. You guys come on up, if you would. Uh, this is Michael's last day with us. As Keisha has already mentioned, we are going to be so sad to see the Damaris family go. But we are all praying that they have four flat tires and just decide to turn around. Now, just kidding. You guys read this text for us. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a compl complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of everything, oh, whoops. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I, Ellie, I did you wrong. I, I meant to have this one over here, but uh, she found the one that was on there, but it wasn't the best one. Thank you guys so very much. Look, I, I would love to go through this text word by word uh, and not only verse by verse, but word by word as well. So I'm going to define words and explore implications as we go. But there are five thoughts I want to share about the promise of God's peace to the family that is engaging with him and one another in ways that ought to cause us to work hard to please the Lord. The first is this. This peaceful family to which we have been called is like no other. It's unlike any other. In verse 11 of our text, Sandra read from Galatians, same thing in verse 11 of Colossians 3. The apostle Paul states that God's family is not restricted by race, socioeconomic status, or religious pedigree. In verse 12, Paul called the Corinthian believers chosen ones. So God is chosen out of every race, both sexes, out of all different sorts of socioeconomic uh, group groupings, God has chosen ones to be in his family. John Woodhouse said it this way about our status. God is the owner of all the people in the world, in the whole world. He is the maker of all people. And yet, among all people, we who were joined to Jesus Christ are his chosen ones. His special possession. So because God has chosen us to be in his family, we have been given a new identity. We're no longer Jews or Gentiles, employers, employees, wealthy, poor, religiously inclined since birth, or 
uh, barbarian reprobates before meeting Christ. But we are one new people in God's family. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 informs us that our identity is no longer in who we are, but we are in Christ. The word Christian is mentioned three times. It's going to be a test on this after the service. So three times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, there should be a test on that. How many New Testaments are there? Three times in the New Testament, where you, you hear the word Christian or read the word Christian. At least two of those were done in a very mocking manner. Oh, those are Christians. Little Christ running around. But hundreds of times we see the description of us being in Christ, with Christ. Our identity is in Him. So Colossians 3 informs us not only that our identity is in Christ, but that that identity can only be formed in community. You can't do this on your own. So when you say, I'm really upset with that church. In fact, I'm so upset with church, I need to get out and I'm just going to stay out a while. Then you are no longer being formed at all. If it's that bad that you have to leave church, you need to get in another one quickly where they're preaching the gospel. There's a sense in Colossians 3 that when we are in Christ, and this is a difficult word in this day, but we need to believe this. We need to get our heads around this. Our identity is only in him, we have to reject the modern call to think of a church as populated with gay Christians or environmentalist Christians or nationalist Christians. A community in which everyone is his or her own God doesn't work. Now, you can surely be a Christian who is concerned about the environment or who is patriotic but your identity as a believer is in Christ and in this family. Do not look to Joy Reid, Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, anybody else to tell you who you are in Christ. God's word tells you who you are. Second. Biblical peace is only achieved when the family is gospel-centered. Now, when you read Colossians 3, do you think of the commands as to, or the commands that are written to you as being singular or plural? You probably think, if I'm going to be the kind of Christian that I need to be, I need to let the word of Christ dwell in me, which means I need to have my quiet time. And I need to be at peace with God. And I need his peace flowing through me so that I can be a better Christian. And when I'm in a public place and, and it's time to eat my meal, I need to pray and be a good testimony for the Lord. Now, all those things are good and true. But if that is all you glean from this text, then you've missed the point, in the same way that some of us use Yahweh on the screen to imply, instead of Lord, to imply that this is the word God is using about himself when he is in relationship with his 
covenant people, that being in the Old Testament. You see that a lot when we have, especially the Psalms, Yahweh. And you know that he's using a particular name of himself to communicate a point. In the same way, I could have used second person plural on the screen in all of these verses. So that instead of saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It would have said, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. But if I had written that, then I would have had to put at the end of it, you hear? And then I'm, you know, then I'm, I, I'm adding to the word. So I thought I better not do that. These commands were given not to individuals, although they apply to individual individuals. These commands were given to the community and a gospel community at that we have heard what a gospel community is. <laughs> These kids called it like it is. The word of Christ of verse 16 could be translated as the word about Christ or the gospel message. It's same as in Romans 10, 17. Complete the sentence. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, you think, but it's the word of Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message that needs to circulate constantly among us. I, I used to think that some churches had too much of the gospel. But that's because I thought that the gospel was limited to the plan of salvation. But I've grown in my faith to understand it's so much more than that. And so that in reality we need not less of the gospel. We need more of the gospel. The plan of salvation is Keisha so aptly explained this morning and described is the entry point into these very deep and refreshing waters of the gospel. It encompasses all of scripture. We learn about from 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 Genesis to Revelation we're learning about God and sin and and the impossibility of redemption apart from Jesus sacrifice and and the fact that he's the one who is really doing the work of sanctification in our lives. He's doing the spiritual growth. Now we've got responsibilities, but as we take these spiritual disciplines seriously, God is changing us by the Holy Spirit. It's throughout the entire scripture. And that informs our next and third point. Keeping the peace involves a whole lot of forbearing and forgiving. And it also involves a whole lot of admonishing. A fair amount of admonishing. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Peace. In the family. This love that we have for one another. This unique blending of race and culture and experience. Does not happen naturally. In verse 12 we're told to put it on. Just like we would put on a jacket. How are we 
to wear this new attire of our identity in Christ. With compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Other qualities that you find every day on Twitter and Instagram, right? No, these are qualities that Christ exhibited. We're called to put up with one another. And when necessary, to forgive one another. In fact, forbearing and forgiving in the New Testament, I call for a whole lot more than confronting. Not long ago in the book of Titus, we were instructed in the purpose and benefits of church discipline. If a church is not willing to exercise spiritual discipline, then it sacrifices much of its authority when it says, thus says the Lord. Really? You believe that? But you guys just live any way you want to over there? But... That's true. We need to be willing to exercise church discipline. But if you think a church ought to be prowling about seeking whom it should discipline, and it's likely that you have moved away from a gospel-centered understanding of Scripture and of God's design for church life. A gospel community, while gracious, cannot overlook Sin. So it's back and forth, back and forth, forgiving, confronting, admonishing, forbearing, putting up with. Indeed, we are called to warn one another, admonishing one another. Verse 16, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Are you better at forgiving or admonishing. Or maybe you've got that combination that so many of us have. Uh, forgive in person and then go home. And you admonish the other person in private. <laughs> well, both spiritual disciplines are designed to be nurtured in a gospel-saturated community or family. The tendency in our day is once again... To admonish like crazy from here, but to over-empathize with people who are hurting. And when we over-empathize with someone who is hurting, oh, I'm so sorry for you. That was mean of them to do that to you. We're not helping them to grow in Christ. So again, let me come at this from another angle. Are you... The kind who measures your word carefully or are you a straight shooter? The Lord has been very gracious to put Alice and me together. Uh, we're blessed to partner in ministry, especially when talking with young couples about the joys and the terror. About, excuse me, I mean the challenges of navigating those early years of marriage. Show me a couple that had a first great year, and I'll show you two liars. No, I'm just kidding. It's not, it, it, some have great first year. We did. As older, we, we had a great first year. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it, in those early years? In, in true Southern fashion, I'll take about 30 minutes, you know. I'm going around, the, beating around the bush, and I'm trying to say it real nice. Like, and Allison finally's had enough, and she'll say, here's what you need to hear. Do this. 
And I'm like, oh boy, here it comes. And they're like, you're right, <laughs> you're right. So we've learned a lot from each other. And that's the way the gospel community has to function. Because I am typically patient and gentle in the way that I approach others. It's not surprising that I prefer the gentle approach. If you need to tell me something I need to hear or speak truth into my life. Sometimes though, a stronger word is needed. Just because someone does not respond well to correction doesn't mean that you should not warn them about their unwise ways. And in fact, a lot of times people who are quick to be defensive, and that's me, I, I, I have to confess. If you say something that I don't want to hear, I can be defensive, but I'm immediately processing. And more often than not, I come around to that place. It's what you do with your heart in the midst of all of that. That determines which way you're going in your growth or regression in your relationship with the Lord. And it determines the kind of gospel community and, 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 and the level of peace that we have in the family. The Christian life is all about repentance, forbearing or putting up with forgiveness and admonishment. We need it all. It's all part of life. Fourth, a spirit of gratitude goes a long way in helping us live as the peaceful family that Jesus died for us to be. How selfish is it? I'm just thinking of this, and I, I have to think of it myself, about myself. How selfish is it for us to only think of Jesus' death as benefiting me for eternity? Now, he died not only to give me eternal life with him, but he died to put me in a family that he wants to glorify him by living at peace. Now, if this seems like an abrupt, abrupt, abrupt shift, it is not. Who wouldn't be grateful to be in a family where others are humble and forgive you and work hard to help you on the right path, all done in the spirit of the gospel? If you're a teenager, you, you probably wonder at times if God has put you in the right family. Now you're thinking, man, my friends just get away with so much more than I do. I, I really think maybe I, I'm in the wrong family. Just know this. There are a lot of adults in the room who thought the exact same thing when they were your age. But now they're going to say, I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am that my mom did not let me dress any way that I wanted to. Or that my dad made be, me be respectful of other people. And he wouldn't let me gossip at the table. I can't tell you how thankful I am. Be thankful for your parents. Verse 16 ties admonishment with gratitude. <laughs> what, what if? What if we just didn't get caught up in the politics of the day? Either the national politics or the local politics or the church politics. What if we didn't divide into vaxxers and non-vaxxers? What if we just loved one another with gratitude in our hearts? Gratitude for the family in which God has placed us. It's a family like no other. 
If we did that, then the last point would be much more likely to be true of us. Our peace promotes God's glory. I was thinking, we'll give him all the glory. If we were all singing with both hands raised, we'll give him all the glory. That would be a pleasant sound and a pleasant aroma before the Lord. But if we do that every day, half the day, and we don't get along with one another, we're not glorifying God. What's, what word is missing from this version of verse 17? Whatever you do, do it in word, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know what it is? It's that first word. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name. It is tied. It's, the word and ties our actions toward one another with glorifying the Lord. We cannot glorify the Lord if we are at one another's throats. You may think your issue is valid. Better be certain. On the night before Jesus was crucified, it is recorded in John 15, 13. Jesus said this in, in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, when you hear John 15, 13, what is the first thing you... In fact, what is just about the only thing we think of? Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us. He laid down. And in fact, he was saying this so that when he died, they would know that he meant business and that he is the best friend, the only good friend ever. But verse 13, in context with verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I wonder if, as John, or as Jesus was saying these two words, he looked at Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Terry talked about Simon or the Zealots who wanted to overthrow Rome. They wanted the Messiah to overthrow Rome. Maybe Simon the Zealot held that hope in his heart right up to the very end. And he looked at both of them. They should hate each other with great hatred. Matthew, the tax collector, getting wealthy off at the expense of the Jews, doing his work for the Romans. Simon, the zealot, who wanted to end all of that stuff. And Jesus is saying, Simon, if some of your friends want to kill Matthew, you need to step in front. You need to be willing to die for him. We're to die. For each other. Even though we may disagree with one another. 
about what seems to be the most fundamental issues of the day in society. They're not. This is going to pass. We get so caught up about things that don't matter. When we love each other that much, no wonder when the world (coughs) looks at the church, it's either scandalized or mesmerized. We love each other like we should. We bring glory to God. And people are attracted. Some people anyway. The ones who are supposed to be. This is a family like no other. And we're privileged to be a part of it. Amen. So on the first and third Sundays of the month, we come together and gather at the Lord's table. I'm going to ask uh, the elders and worship team, deacons, all those who are serving to come forward. And I want to say as they're coming forward that this is a family meal. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've trusted Him, if you're not trusting your good works to get you to heaven, but you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, and we'll ask you to come forward. In just a moment, uh, we're going to serve the servers first and those who are in the worship team. We will be serving them, and then they will be uh, serving you. So when we get to that place, we're going to have everyone come down these interior aisles and there'll be someone to direct you when it's your turn. There'll be a a section or a a server in front of each section. And when you come forward, go to the server who is in front of your section. You'll receive the packet. Return either up the center aisle or the outer aisle. So you come down these interior aisles, go back this way or go back that way. And then you can take a moment and and reflect. The worship team will be uh, sharing with us. Our reading this morning is from Matthew. The same Matthew who was one of the most unlikely converts imaginable. Matthew the tax collector. It was scandalous. To the Jews that Jesus had people like Matthew following him around. But the Lord changed him. And in Matthew chapter 26 verse 26. As they were eating at that love feast we talked about recently. Passover meal for these guys. But it became a love feast every Sunday. The believers would gather together. And sometime in the meal they would go into Uh, The Lord's Supper. As they were meeting, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This meal is designed to cause us to recall the great sacrifice Jesus made for us. We are grateful that the body of Christ was given for us and that his blood was spilled for our sins.
It is also designed to remind us that we are one body. The body of Christ. We're a family. He's called us to peace. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. We have peace with one another. There will be wars and rumors of wars until the end of time. Some peace is never going to happen in this land until Jesus, in this world, until Jesus reigns supreme. But peace ought to dwell inside these walls and in our homes and as we interact with one another. And peace does not always mean that everything is smooth and we all have the same person that we rub each other the wrong way. When someone rubs you the wrong way, turn around. They'll be rubbing you the right way then, right? Lord, thank you. As we come to this table. That our hearts are united with you. Because we believe. And what do we believe? We believe that you loved us so much that you died for our sins. Lord, may we not only love you enough to die for you if we're called to. But may we love you enough and love others enough that we're willing to die for one another. So this family meal of in which Jesus is our primary focus, may we understand that we're doing this together and that our unity and our love for one another and the peace that dwells in the family glorifies you. Lord, we long to glorify you. So we give thanks as we look back, as we sit in this present moment, and as we look forward to Jesus' return. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.